Surprise, it's Jerome, and I'm taking over Axel's podcast. You're about to check out one of our most popular episodes for Multifamily Missteps, where I get with operators from all around the country and find out the challenges or struggles that they have had along the way. Hopefully you enjoy this episode, and if you do, I'd love to see you as a new subscriber to our show. Again, it's Multifamily Missteps. Talk to you guys soon. I really like how we, we played that out. So basically, when the deal fell through, we had our investors' capital tied up for several months as we were continuing to raise to try to get to closing. And when it didn't work out, we decided to still pay the investors a pref. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the great pleasure of having Kristen Ray with me today. Kristen, how are things in Maryland? So far, so good. Thank you for asking. So before we dive into it, do me a favor and let me know how the listeners can get in contact with you. So I'm largely reached on Facebook. Um, my handle is Kristen Ray, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-R-A-Y. Um, also, you can feel free to shoot me an email at info at vital v-i-t-a-l vital investment partners with an s.com awesome so now that we've got the important stuff out the way let's dive into the deals and your background so let's learn a little bit about kristen tell me about your background and what you've been working on okay so my background in terms of real estate um, my journey began in 2011 my grandfather passed away and he left me with some properties. So at that time, this may be relatable to some of your female guests. Um, I had a six month old baby. I was breastfeeding. I worked night shift and I was going to school during the day for my master's. So I was not particularly thrilled about taking care of some additional properties or the passing of my grandfather. So fast forward, tried to sell them, wasn't a good time to sell them. Um, they were already rented. They were pretty much turnkey. So my brother and I decided to keep them. And so that's what we did. The tenants are still there to this day. Fast forward a couple years beyond that. We're managing, we're doing um, maintenance and things like that. And I decided to go back to school for my doctorate degree. And like many people, I didn't want any student loans. I didn't have any, and nor did I want any. So I decided to do a cash out refinance to pay for my higher education, which told me that I was doing a lot of things wrong. So I did a cash out refi, paid for my doctorate degree, went to school, completed it, and then just dived in head first into real estate. Because I realized that, you know, constantly selling yourself or for, for money, that's, um, that's not going to quite cut it. Wow. So you decided you wanted to exit the matrix, start trading <laughs> money. Exactly. That's beautiful. So I understand through, I think the network, uh, you were on somebody's show and then 
I was in Clive Davis's Facebook group and he's like, you guys have to listen to this story. And so I checked it out and I was like, okay, Chris is coming over to hang out with us on missteps. So let's talk about your big deal. Okay, so fast forward, picked up a few more rentals, did a couple of rehabs and um, I started on the path of wanting to do some larger multifamily assets. So went to a bunch of conferences, surrounded myself with other people who were also in the business, made it well known that I was capable and willing to do whatever is necessary to, you know, take the next leap in my investment career. So met some partners who were doing deals and, um, you know, we had a few conversations, decided we wanted to partner up. We actually partnered up on a deal before this, but it fell through. And now I'm actually glad it did. It fell through because we couldn't raise, essentially we couldn't raise enough money for it. It was like a 13 and a half million dollar raise and we just, we couldn't get there. So, and it was student housing and right now with COVID and everything going on and all the universities are closed and all that. I said, you know what? Sometimes things are a blessing in disguise. Fast forward, my partner and I came across this deal in Columbia, South Carolina. It's a 146 unit multifamily deal. So we decided to pursue. Okay. And so how'd you find your partner? Hold on. There's a whole new person in here. Where do they come from? So my partner, um, we met through a friend of a friend. So it was basically networking, essentially networking. Wow. So are you in like a guru networking group or is this like, what kind of networking did you do to find a partner? No, I'm not in a guru networking group. This was just local investor whom I've met at several meetups. He also has done some smaller syndications as well. Him and I became really good. Um, I know his wife really well. Uh, we hang out together. And we went to a, another networking group together. And that's how I met my partner. Because he knew my partner from networking previously. And he said, I think you two should meet. So that's essentially how we met. A friend of a friend. How cool. Now, I assume it's going well. What did you do? And I'm sure this isn't the only person that you've discussed partnership with. So what about this person made you comfortable tying yourself together on a multi-million dollar deal? Well, doing some vetting, first of all, um, he did come as a recommendation through a friend, but a partnership is like a marriage. So, you know, you got to kind of dig around a little bit. I looked at some of his other deals he'd done. I wanted to see how they were doing. I spoke to some of his investors and they were pleased because investors, you know, if you have their capital, they are not shy at all about telling you how they feel about you. So I spoke to some of his investors. Um, they spoke very highly of him. The numbers on his other deals were looking pretty good. So I said, okay, you know, we could try it out and, and see what happens. And um, the first deal, like I said, we tried to do together, that didn't work out. And that also kind of gave me a sneak peek of what it would be like to work with him. And I really like how we, we played that out. So basically, when the deal fell through, we had our investors' capital tied up for several months um, as we were continuing to raise to try to get to closing. And um, when it didn't work out, we decided to still pay the investors a pref um, to still keep us in their good graces uh, because we did have their capital tied up for about close to six months. So we didn't want to just give it back to them without any sort of return. 
Wow. So you got good with reaching in your pocket and giving money to people that on a deal where you weren't going to make any money on your first deal? Cause yes. <laughs> it, I mean, it, I, I mean, I wasn't thrilled about it, but I also understand that as long as I have health and strength, I'll be in this business for a long time and I'm going to always need my investors. It's a capital um, intensive business. You're always going to need funding. Um, if you treat your investors right, then they're more, a lot more likely to do business with you. Okay. And did I hear you right? Is that a, you try? You guys were raising thirteen million on this first one. Yes, a um, little, little more than thirteen, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we couldn't quite, we couldn't quite get there. Yeah. So we ended up having to pull out. What's up, guys? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investors. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now, let's get back to the episode. That's a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah you buying or trying to buy we were doing a student housing complex in um college station in texas you know we had extensions built in and everything our emd went hard we lost that and (laughs) again we still paid our investors out of pref (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um, missteps missteps yeah (laughs) yeah you got Put up money, your due diligence period expired, that money went hard. That money went hard. All the the attorney um, paperwork we had to pay for, the various inspections, all of that was funded. So, I mean, there's a gold pot at the end of the rainbow because you got the other one done, but I, you don't ever talk about the deals that don't get done. So, like, I really want to spend time here because... You learned so much in that one, and I think it really solidified your partnership. So let, let's, let's spend a little bit more time here. So what okay. did you learn about raising money? What did you learn about handling investors? And I'm sure there were people who said they were in and didn't show up. So let's walk down that road, because I think this is a really a valuable lesson for everybody that's in the space. Sure. What did I learn? I learned a ton. We had we had every intention on closing, obviously. I mean, you don't walk down that path if you don't intend to close. So we were raising. We were fairly confident that we had several investors who were interested. So what we found that happened is there were some delays in terms of on the seller side. There was an issue with the roof that the seller was going to fix. And then another incident happened where we were going to assume the loan on the debt that was already there because it still had another two years of interest only. And we get to the closing table and well, almost to the closing table and the lender says, Oh, your time is up. And (laughs) so that fell through. So then we said, okay, we had to go out and secure different debt. And we did that. We also, this was our last extension. So we were securing the different debt. We were on our last extension. Um, The seller really wanted to work with us because we had done everything up to that point. And we also had several hundred thousand dollars of EMD that, you know, (laughs) that he had. And we we couldn't raise all the money. So we looked for, we looked for PREF equity. We looked for, and we also looked for some additional private investors and 
despite all of our efforts, several months, a lot of efforts, a lot of phone calls, a lot of uh, plane rides back and forth to Texas, it didn't happen. Ouch. Yeah, it didn't happen. At what point did you say, hey, I got to keep going because I think a lot of people would have just hung it up because, I mean, this guy had experience, he had a good track record, and I assume he was leading the pursuit and you were along for the ride, learning all you could along the way. So how did you not end up in that place of resentment? Like, this guy is making me spend money on a deal that we're not even closing. Like, I'm supposed to make money, not lose money. Like, how did you, like get that piece about it because, or decide that you should continue to work with him instead of go to somebody else? Well, the way I see it is it's a partnership. So the decisions were made together. I mean, this wasn't or isn't at all a dictatorship. So I decided that regardless of if I partner with someone or if I do it on my own, if I set a goal, as long as I have health and strength, I'm going to do everything that I can to reach it. So I said, well, this is a misstep or a step back. I mean, how many mistakes have we all made? You can't even count them at this point. I just took the lessons from that and said, well, we know what to do moving forward. We know how to do things a little differently. So I just kind of said, you know, let's just, you know, because I knew the money that were for the inspections and, and all the due diligence, I, I, you know, those services are paid as you go. So you're, you're never going to see that again, no matter what happens. The EMD had gone hard. We, we saw the timer ticking down on that, but we were still trying to close the deal. So when it didn't happen, my, my thought process is sometimes deals do fall apart. I mean, it's, that's just the way it is. But I did think it was a good idea to give our investors, like I said, some prep equity because we did have them had their capital tied up for such a long period and they could have had that money work for them in some other way. And I do believe in building and maintaining strong business relationships. And when you're talking about investing syndicated funds through private equity, private investors, you have one time to screw up somebody's money. You will never see it again. So (laughs) that's kind of my view. If I give someone my hard earned dollar, it needs to come back and it needs to come back with some friends. So I basically looked at it through their shoes. You know, if that was me, what would I want? So I thought it was fair. Um, I received compliments from some of the investors saying, you know, they really thought we handled it well. And preservation of capital is key. So that's pretty much, you know, how I felt about it. Big. Okay. And so this is kind of twofold because you guys left that deal, went into another one, successfully closed it over 100 doors in South Carolina. What was the key process change that you made from the last deal to the deal that you just closed that kept that from happening again? This, well, first of all, we had different lending. These sellers were just totally different. These um, sellers were kind of like mom and pop sellers for South Carolina and the sellers for the college station deal. They were like institutional. They had a review board. Every time you sent them an offer, had to go through like this fancy process of, you know, hit the gravel. Yes, no. These sellers were much more laid back. They were mom and pop, back of the napkin. You know, you ask them for their financials. They're like, what financials? <laughs> this was just totally different. 
these sellers, they were very friendly people. They were getting older. They wanted to cash out. They weren't interested in doing any seller financing. We went and we secured bridge lending. It's a value add. Uh, it's just, this is a totally different investment, actually. In terms of everything falling apart, we're trying to assume the loan. That wasn't going to be an issue. We were using bridge debt. The numbers were rock solid. We didn't have as much capital to raise. This was a $9.1 million purchase price. We needed about mm, a little more than 6000 that we raised. I mean, um, I'm sorry, $6 million that we raised. It was just, it was just a lot of... Uh, it was just a lot different, totally different. So do you prefer the process of buying from mom and pop or more sophisticated investors? Well, based on my experience, mom and pop, because they're a lot more flexible. They were a lot more flexible, easygoing, a lot easier to work with. So if I had to pick just based on my experience, I would say mom and pop. Yeah. So the one thing that you brought up that I think is pretty common is the financials are pretty uh, sketchy (laughs) for mom and pop. And so trying to validate, hey, how much money do they actually collect? Uh, How much economic vacancy do they have? Like all those things gets a little more, I I guess it introduced risk or makes people uncomfortable. So I think you know, if you can get over that part of the deal, then yeah, the other benefits really are nice. Um, it's interesting that they were able to run a hundred plus unit building that way though. I mean, It is interesting. And that's what makes it such a great value add because they were completely inefficient. The property management was actually someone who managed single family property. So <laughs> it was not being ran very efficiently at all. And it's in a great location. So that's what made it such a prime opportunity. It was just like, you know, mama, and they kept the rents like super low because they didn't want to deal with the vacancies and the turnover. So um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a great, uh, great opportunity. So I have one more question about that because you smiled when you said it was a big value add opportunity. Were there any surprises going into this new deal that you uncovered after you guys closed? Well, other than COVID, which was a surprise to everyone, not, well, when we, as we transitioned over the first, because we closed on April, wait a minute, no, I'm sorry, March 22nd. So April's rents um, went to the former owner because about 30% of it is subsidized tenants. So getting all of that converted over, we submitted all of the documentation and everything, but for whatever reason, um, we deal with the government, I guess, whoever didn't process it and still sent it to them. So we were looking, we're like, well, where's all our money? And he was gracious. He sent it back to us. Um, Just kind of getting things turned over and understanding, um, getting the tenants to understand that we do care. Um, We are planning to do updates and to um, um, revitalize the property because they had, you know, a lot of leaky faucets and things like that that just haven't been addressed. So just kind of um, getting off to a good first impression. Um, But in terms of surprises, also understanding um, 
the, as you said, the, the economic vacancies and, um, and collections because the records were, um, <laughs> were, were, were pretty sketchy. But um, I'm glad to say even with COVID and everything that's going on, we're at um, 87% as of yesterday, I checked. So we're at 87% rent collection, and we have a few people who the property manager is working with to um, do some payment plans and, and things of that nature. So, so far, so good on that end. Beautiful. And so the last question is, what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? Don't give up. Just keep doing it. Um, no matter how many times you fail for something you really want to do, um, keep at it. Try to mitigate your risk. Um, also, a lot of times you're going to have to put some sort of skin in the game or whatever that looks like. Um, and just like with anything else, you're, you're never going to get anywhere if you don't keep trying. So even if you fail, dust yourself off, give yourself a few minutes to kick and scream and get back out there and do it. Kristen, this is a great episode. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing some value with our listeners. I look forward to keeping up with you and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.